So it's a new year. You know, pastors are often, well, at least at this church, frequently not here on New Year's. I think that's because pastors feel a, a certain sense of responsibility and obligation to be here on Christmas, right? But we have been blessed uh, during the time that I've been here by godly men uh, who have proclaimed the word. Uh, Pastor Rick Reynolds, Pastor Craig Jarvis, and now Pastor Jeremy Scott. And it seems that because they are here for Christmas, that sometimes for their family's sake, it's best for them to travel New Year's. So as I reflected on that, I've preached on New Year's Eve and on New Year's quite often. And oftentimes, the topic was the New Year. Resolutions, because everybody's thinking resolutions, you know, getting in shape, making changes. This new year's going to be different. When the reality is, it's just another day on the calendar. It really is. But it doesn't hurt to have a fresh start. It doesn't hurt to think about something being new and to create a, perhaps a list of resolutions directed by the Holy Spirit. Now, we like new things. Well, most things we like new. Antique furniture is nice. We have some antique furniture in our home, so it's nice to have some old things. Antique automobiles. You know, if, if your car's old enough, you can have a special license plate that declares that your car is old. But I have a lot of formerly new things, some of which Cindy would like to have purged from our house. Actually, many of those formerly new things she would like to have purged from our house. I have several new computers that are not new anymore. In fact, one of them runs Windows for Workgroups 3.1, which is, that's pretty old. I should get rid of that computer. I have good intentions. You can ask me about that. We have a, a new house. Well, actually, the house was built in 1988. And the house was built with new windows. But last year, those new windows were old, and they were leaking, and they, you know, they've got that haze in them because the seal broke. So our new windows were old. So we got new windows on our formerly new house to replace the old windows. And the new windows are getting old. Now, thankfully, they're, you know, they're still holding the cold out and the heat in, so I'm thankful for the new windows at this time of year, especially today and tomorrow, but the new windows are getting old. We look for products that are new and improved. In fact, we look at products. When, when, when Cindy and I go in the pantry, we look at the date. There's an expiration date on the product. Some of you don't do that. I do. Cindy said, you know, when there are some sardines in the pantry right next to the honey, They've been there a while. And that was just her way of saying, you know, you bought those sardines. Maybe you ought to eat those sardines. Okay? And I like sardines. Actually, my son-in-law kind of got me started in eating sardines. It's been a while since I've eaten any, but the first thing I did was I looked at the expiration to see how old they were. Sardines last a long time. <laughs> they were still good. And because this is the first Sunday of a new year, I want us to remember the things that God has already declared are new. 
And the things that we can look forward to that he says he will make new. And this is newness that's not temporary like those windows that are getting old. This is newness that's good forever. This is brand new without expiration date, without end date, without decay, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and reserved in heaven for you that fades not away. It's a very good new covenant. And these were made new by the work of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by his Holy Spirit. And we've already sung about their faithfulness and the work that they've done. So let's think a little bit about the things that God has said he has already made new. Just a couple of them. We won't spend a lot of time on this. God's mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Most of us don't spend a lot of time in Lamentations. Sounds like kind of a depressing book. But the reality is there are some very encouraging things in Lamentations. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 and you could also see Psalm 36.5 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And we sang about that. We praised him for his great faithfulness and his new mercies. His mercies being new every morning, even when it's blistering cold. He's also given us a new song, a new song, Psalm 40, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The new song in our heart is a result of his work on our heart. Without his work, I don't have much to sing about. Wayne, Wayne, in the natural sense, without the Spirit, and without the work of Christ, doesn't have much to sing about. Got a lot to worry about and a lot to uh, think about that isn't necessarily very uplifting. So we have a new song. We are also new creations in Christ Jesus. If you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a new creature. The old has passed, and everything has become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says this to the church in Corinth, which was kind of a problem church, actually. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are new. You are forever new. <laughs> Did you ever think about that? Your newness just doesn't change from yesterday to today till tomorrow in Christ Jesus. You are permanently made new because God is faithful. And finally, God says he gave a new commandment. Now, there are passages that say it's not a new commandment, but it is a new commandment in the sense that we couldn't keep the new commandment until Christ kept the new commandment. In John chapter 13, Jesus says this, Little children... Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. 
A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So you have actually a new love that's born out in a new commandment that you now can live because you have a new song and a new heart and you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So lots of things are new. And when you go back to your formerly new house and drive your formerly new car, all of you are driving formerly new cars. Even if you bought it yesterday, it's formerly new. Now, if you sell it, you can't say, I have a new car. You can say, I have a used car, although it's close to new, right? It's greatly depreciated. You should check with, uh, who's that guy that does financial peace? Dave Ramsey. So this morning, I want to talk about four things. Number one, what is a covenant? Number two, what is the old covenant, and what did that look like? Number three, what is the new covenant? And finally, why is the new covenant better? And then we're going to celebrate the new covenant in his blood. So number one, what is a covenant? Uh, this is what Wayne Grudem asks. What principles determine the way God relates to us? A covenant is a relationship agreement. It's a promise, but it's a relationship agreement. It's an unchangeable, divinely imposed, now get that, it's divinely imposed. We don't get to suggest alterations to the covenant. It's a divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man and stipulates the conditions of the relationship. So we don't get to negotiate on the conditions whatsoever. In the translation of the Old Testament into the Greek, into the Septuagint, they had two choices for this possible word to deal with agreement. One of them was syntheke, and I'm not even sure I'm saying that right. The, the Greek translators did not use that, and that word was not used in, in the New Testament. That word meant something that is arranged jointly. That means that if Rick and I, let's say I want Rick to do something for me, we have a conversation, perhaps, so we have a negotiation about um, what is going to be done and how much it's going to cost and uh, the time frame for doing it, and we come to a mutual agreement. That's that type of agreement. That's where we're kind of equals, you know, and we work through it and we we probably wouldn't write a contract. We trust each other, but in our world, you know, you'd write a contract. You'd write an agreement. That's that kind. That's not the kind that's used in the Old and New Testament. Diatheke is the word that's used. And that word isn't something that's hammered out between Rick and Wayne. That would be if Wayne said, Rick, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want it done by. Here's all I'm going to pay you. And here's the quality that I'm, that I'm expecting. You get no input into this, Rick. Rick, of course, would say, what are, you, what are you thinking? You know, don't I get to converse in this at all? That's the word that is used. That's the word when somebody sets, when one party sets the terms 
for the agreement. So we, we cannot change the agreement. This kind of agreement that God is talking about, this is His agreement, and we get a choice. We get a choice to either accept the agreement or just reject the agreement. So Rick could just say, I'm not going to take you up on your offer, Wayne. I reject your agreement <laughs> because we're not agreeing. In God's case, though, we don't have an opportunity to change anything about this agreement. We just get to accept it. Now, I, I brought with me, oh, and I think I may have left it downstairs. I've got a blue folder. No, it's right down here. Let me get it. There are a few people in this, in this auditorium that don't want me to lose this. This says, Last Will and Testament of Wayne L. Winquist. Now, let me, let me tell you something about this. Last Will and Testament. I did not negotiate with anybody regarding that will. I didn't talk to Beth. Didn't talk to Jason. Didn't talk to Mom. Cindy had some input. We, I mean, clearly we had some conversation. But this is my last will and testament. So Beth didn't get to say, well, Dad, this line here. I'd really like for you to change this percentage and this language in here. She wasn't given that opportunity. There's, a, there's another thing about this last will and testament. There are only certain people that are mentioned by name. And only those people are covered by this agreement. So here's some bad news, Rob. You're not in the agreement, okay? And I know you're not terribly surprised by that. I could revise that, I suppose, but, but there are some names that are mentioned in here. And there are actually some people mentioned in here whose names aren't in here. Violet's name isn't in here, but Violet is in here. Because the attorney was smart enough to know that maybe I should be thinking about not just children, but grandchildren and grandchildren's children. So, Violet, you're covered. But your mom has to die first. <laughs> which isn't desirable. Okay. So family is included. Uh, but, but this is a temporary inheritance. This is not a permanent inheritance. See, it's only going to be good while the recipient is alive. And then the inheritance moves on to somebody else. It's not a permanent inheritance that is undefiled. In fact, I might wind up spending everything that's there, and there wouldn't be an inheritance. So Beth and Jason and Matt and Kelly, you know, if God is gracious and I don't mess up greatly, then, then you're mentioned in here. There's one other thing that's pretty important about this covenant. Nowhere in this covenant do I say, oh, by the way, Beth, here's, here's what I'm expecting of you. Here's what you need to do to be the beneficiary of this agreement. You just need to be Beth, and you have to be older than 30, okay? There, I guess there is one requirement there. And, and the rest of you can figure out whether or not she is. 
So this is a covenant. This is a basic relationship agreement that, that I've made, that I've created. And this is similar to what God is saying in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is a non-negotiable, eternal agreement that will never fail, and it's new. It's brand new. So let me read again this passage from Jeremiah chapter 31. Again, page 60 in the Pew Bible. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. An opportunity for a personal relationship. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God's testament, his will, clearly states that you can know him and that your sins will be forgiven and your iniquities forgotten. Let's talk a little bit about the Old Covenant then. This is the covenant of works or the Adamic covenant. The word covenant isn't actually used in Genesis, but God does use it, and we'll get to that in a second. This is what God said. He said in Genesis 2, verses 16 to 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. This, in this statement to Adam, God establishes the ground rules for the relationship. He says, everything is permissible. Everything that's in the garden is yours, with one exception. Do not take from the one tree that I've defined as off-limits. So in a contract, you need to know who the parties are that are involved. You need to know the legally binding provisions, right? So in the agreement with Rick, we need to know what the rules are. We need to know a promise of blessing and the condition of blessing. And here's what they are. The parties involved, God and Adam and everyone that followed after Adam. Those are the parties. What are the legally binding provisions? Here are the legally binding provisions. Every tree, eat of it. This tree here, to show that you love me and honor me and trust me, don't eat from that tree. And if you do, the legally binding solution is death. You will die. There is a promise of blessing. Now, it's not stated, but it's assumed, right? If you don't eat of that tree, then you have great liberty and a relationship with God and, and huge opportunities in this wonderful garden that's perfect. No sin, no death, no sickness, no catastrophe, no thorns. Perfect relation of husband and wife. Everything's great. But there is a condition for blessing. Accept the covenant or reject the covenant. And God actually calls it a covenant in Hosea chapter 6, verse 7. Here's what God says. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. 
See, Israel and Judah, they were big into sacrifices. They were big into, we'll do bad things, but we'll make up for it by doing the things God wants done. He's got these sacrifices he wants accomplished. And God said over and over again in the Minor Prophets, your sacrifices smell awful to me. They're repugnant. They don't meet the need. Because you've broken the covenant. And in fact, just before verse 7 in Hosea, God says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. He said, have a relationship with me. Love me. Know me. And we chose other. So what are the results of this failure to keep the covenant? Well, most of you know the passage of Scripture in Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the outgrowth, the wages, the results of breaking the covenant is death. And God's been faithful to that promise. No one has escaped short of his miraculous intervention dying in leaving this world. In John chapter 3, verses 17 and 9 through 19, you know, this is right after John 3.16, which Pastor talked about last week. I think it was last week, yes. John 3.16, God's love, right? But there's a problem. Because of breaking the old covenant, it says we are condemned already. For God did not send, send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And why was that? Because they broke the first covenant, the old covenant. The good news is that Jesus completely fulfilled the Old Covenant, and ushered in the New Covenant. First Peter 2.22, it says, He committed, that is, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. That's one of the earliest signs that a child is a sinner. Deceit in the mouth. Did you do this? No. Who did this? I don't know. Oh, lie after lie after lie. Kids are great at lying. And so are adults. Romans 5, 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many shall be made righteous. So thanks be to God, although under the old covenant we're in desperate shape, God decided, and actually before time began, prepared a new covenant for us and revealed it at the right time. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says how he accomplished that. For our sake he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for Wayne. So that in him... Wayne might become the righteousness of God, might make Wayne new, might make you new.
might make anyone who believes in his name new. Now, we sometimes look at the Old Testament and we think Old Covenant. And that's actually a mistake. Because the New Covenant is in the Old Testament. We just read it in Jeremiah chapter 31. And in fact, in the New Testament, early on in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, the daddy of John the Baptist, had this to say. Starting in verse, well, the entire passage is 67 through 79. But I want to start in verse 68. Blessed be the God of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So Jesus was revealed in the Old Testament as the promised new Messiah, the new covenant that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. And you know, he told Abraham, through you, all the nations will be blessed. Right now in the old covenant, it looks pretty desperate. You're going to die, Abraham. But know this, there's a day coming when all things will be made new. And that will continue on forever. So let's, let's pause just for a moment about this Old Covenant and say, so, do you see any place in the Old Testament where God says, so, um, Roger, what do you think? Are you on board with my plan here? Do you have any input? No, he doesn't do that, does he? There's no negotiation, no input. Um, we didn't keep that covenant. There is a wage to be paid. And so God, knowing that we failed and planning before time began for our failure, he created a new covenant. So what is the new covenant? It's the covenant of grace. It's superior. It's better. It's a better high priest. It's a better sacrifice. It has better conditions. It has longer duration. It is more effective. It offers better access. It includes a relationship that is far better. It is eternal and has an eternal inheritance. It is so much far better than the Old Covenant. Who are the parties? Well, in our uh, passage this morning, it's clear that God is the one who's energized this covenant. In Hebrews 9.15, it says, of Jesus. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So there has to be a death. This paper is just paper with words on it until I'm gone when I die. Jesus, by his death, brought in the new covenant and made life possible, made inheritance possible for you and me. So who are the parties? Well, the parties are you and your response to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity to respond. John says, if you don't respond, you stand condemned. You are condemned by God because you're a sinner. 
But if you respond by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes all things new. He makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus. There are conditions in this new covenant. God says he will change their hearts, but the change isn't external. The old covenant was an external law. People didn't break the law. They broke themselves against the law. They destroyed themselves by disobeying the law. But God says the new covenant is a covenant that I'm going to write on your heart. It'll be part of who you are. And it'll be because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that indwells you that you can be a new creature with a new heart. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, Nicodemus wanted to know, so what needs to happen? How can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, you must be born again. You need new birth. You need to be quickened by God's Holy Spirit. You need to be either born or adopted into the family. And so, by the way, actually, if some of our children adopt children, guess what happens? They're included. They, they have the same legal rights as a born, naturally born child. In 1 John it says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God continues the practice of sinning. So, you know, we now can be changed and are changed by God, who makes it possible for us to have victory over sin. And John further says, By this it is evident who the children of God and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor does the one who does not love his brother. So there are conditions. There are conditions in this new contract. And the first condition, of course, is Christ met all of the conditions. And now we respond. We believe him. We trust him because he's accomplished the good work. And then there's a promise. Don't lose the sense of the power of this promise. God says, I will forgive their iniquity. In both Jeremiah and Hebrews, he says, I'm going to forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. In other words, this agreement has relationship written all over it. The ability to have access to God the Father. The ability to know that in spite of our sin, we can be cleansed if we confess our sins. And he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. In other words, he says, I give myself to you and I take you for my own. I give myself to you and for you and I take you for my own. That is awesome assurance. A promise-keeping God who says, Wayne, I take you and I'm your God. Where else do I need to go? That's why Peter could say to Jesus, you know, when Jesus said, are, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, who else is there? Who else could we go to? No one. 
He didn't think of the high priest or the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees or any of the religious people or the teachers. All he could think of was Jesus and him only. So briefly, um, let's ask a question. So does God ever say about the new covenant, what do you think about this? No. Thank you, Rob. He doesn't say, do you like the way I've played this out for you? Do you want to alter this plan at all? You know what we would do? We'd make it worse. If we suggested improvements, it would just get worse. It would be messed up if we suggested improvements. So there's no negotiation. There's also no payment. Beth, you don't have to pay anything. Well, there may be, you know, estate things that have to be handled, but hopefully this, this all covers that. But there's no payment required. You don't have to give me any money to lock yourself in on this. Okay? You're good. You're very good, actually. And this is a gift. There's nothing that anybody can do to earn this. This is a free gift that God gives. Briefly, before we celebrate communion, so why is this better? (laughs) It should be obvious, but let's remind ourselves as to why this is better. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, God specifically says it's better. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better. By the way, if you read through Hebrews, you're going to find out that Christ is better than everything. He's supreme to everything. There's nothing that he's second to. He's the top. He's the top tier. He's number one. So, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises by a better God. Not a better God, but a God who is wonderful. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. This is not the first covenant. I know that may come as a shock to some of you. This is actually the, a new covenant. The old covenant had things that were really great in it when Beth was this tall. But now that Beth is so much taller and more mature, a new covenant was necessary. Now that's a weak illustration, but the reality is God took the old covenant, saw that Man failed, and he knew man would. And before the creation of the world, had a new covenant already prepared. And that's a good thing for you and me. So here's why it's better. Number one, it's finished. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. No additions needed. No subtractions required. It's based on his obedience, his finished work on the cross. It is satisfied. Number two, it is internal, not external. I'm no longer forced to conform. I'm transformed to be made into the image of his son. Number three, God establishes the relationship based based on the work of his son on the cross. He did the work. He established the relationship. Number four, There is no ongoing sacrifice required. One sacrifice, once for all. 
a perfect lamb, a perfect high priest, a perfect mediator who has met all of our needs. And the new covenant removes the sting of death. It's a very good new covenant. The first covenant had the sting of death written in it. The new covenant covenant removed the sting. Praise be to God.